Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place where you can tell these stories. Women of color have the floor here, but we want our allies listening too. Because when an ally decides that they want to be a better coworker or a better manager and fully support and protect women of color at work, some beautiful things can start to happen. Change. So men, white people, y'all need to be listening too because we're going to need your help to change the work experience in this country. Each episode, I'll talk about an element of problematic work culture from my perspective as a millennial black professional and invite many other women to discuss these topics from their perspectives as well. The floor is open, y'all. We're telling it all. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're not okay with just having a seat at the table, one that we barely got, by the way. We want to eat. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Work Stories, the podcast. I am so excited that this little baby of mine has graduated to podcast status um, and can reach even more people. Uh, So a bit about me, you know, as a black woman who is also a writer, I worry that women of color didn't have many opportunities to talk about their work experiences and share those stories. Um, We're just so used to being silenced and overlooked and dismissed uh, that our realities start to feel like some weird rite of passage in this world instead of what they actually are, which is community trauma, cultural trauma. (laughs) It's like what it actually is. Um, This platform really says loud and clear, we're not biting our tongues anymore. Y'all are doing this and we're sick of it. We're tired of being mistreated. So I remember, go back in time with me in middle school, learning about slavery. And I remember the teachers telling us that Black people came from different villages and tribes, so they didn't all speak the same language. And that was to the advantage of the colonizer because they couldn't talk to each other. And if they could have talked to each other, they might have been able to make plans to defy their masters and even run away right at the beginning of the slave trade. I think of workplace treatment in the same way. Okay, go with me here. 
Um, when we get to talking and swapping stories and making plans, that threatens the entire framework of institutionalized racism and sexism. And luckily, that's just what I want to do. <laughs> so, yay. Uh, and I want to make clear there are some of you out there who couldn't imagine coming on a platform like this and talking about your story and being completely honest for fear of punishment or judgment from other people. But I just want to make it really clear that there is so much power in speaking up and bringing these issues to bigger platforms. Uh, And that's what I hope to do in this podcast. Um, This whole community, Work Stories, was really born out of my need to try to cope with a traumatic situation that I was having at work. Uh, I felt really alone for three to four months when I was kind of right in the middle of this work conflict. And I felt really embarrassed that I had gotten myself into yet another situation where I was being profiled and mistreated. I don't know. I worried that if I actually shared with others what was happening, they might actually start to believe that I was lazy and unprofessional and angry and all the things that my supervisors were saying to me at the time. What if they believe them? And then as I started to share my story little by little with friends, family members, I realized I wasn't alone in my experiences, that other Black women were dealing with the exact same things and suffering in silence. We're so good at that. (laughs) So I had all this pent-up tension and pain that I needed to expel into something creative, just something good. And here we are. Six months to the day that Work Stories was first posted on Instagram. And we started by telling the story of a woman named Kelly, a Black female in the nonprofit world. And the rest is history. So I'm so excited to continue this platform and hopefully have it reach more people, um, particularly allies who, like, we kind of need them to hear our story so they can be the ones to change things because it's really hard to change things as just the community of the victimized, right? We need other people to decide that they want to be better and they want to step up and befriend us and, you know, protect us and help us make these changes in the workplace and beyond. So, yeah, Um On my Instagram page, there's been so many stories shared, and I've actually never told my own story. I know. I've never given my audience any background to what actually happened to me, and that's definitely out of fear of, you know, what the consequences could be for speaking up and telling my truth, my perspective on things. Um... I need a job, right? Like I have to work. We all have to work. Eating is fun. Paying rent's even better, you know. So you have to think practically sometimes when you do want to share, when you do want to talk about an issue, how is that going to be perceived by the people who control your livelihood? So I just never said anything and I let other people take the floor and share their stories, which I think was great and worked for the time at the moment and helped me build confidence around this community and for myself. And now I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. I'm like so nervous, actually. Um, But over the course of the season, all these episodes, you're going to hear 
a bunch of people on here who are going to be brave enough to share the details of what happened to them and discuss their feelings about it. And a lot of them may have never even spoken about these things before, but they're still going to come on here and be vulnerable and honest. So it's only right that I live by the same code. So let's talk about what happened. Okay. So I was leaving a job um, in the nonprofit field that was super white. I was definitely the token Black person, person of color um, in the organization. There was one other person, um, but I definitely felt alone in the scenario that I was in. Um, I worked there for a few years and had various experiences that were challenging to say the least. And on top of that, I was getting paid a really low amount of money based off the education that I had. I have a bachelor's and master's in journalism um, from pretty decent schools uh, that I'm still paying the loans off for and probably will till I die. Um, Yeah. So based on education, based on the experience that I had and based on the impact that I was making while in the job, I just didn't feel like I was getting paid what I should have been getting. Um, So I spoke up about that and was denied. And that was kind of my last strike. I had been the like person to listen to all the diversity issues. I was there for the conversations around the murder of George Floyd and what should we do and what statements should we put out and where do we go from here. I helped launch a DEI task force and was on the task force. I did a lot of emotionally taxing and traumatic work and I felt I did it for free. And being denied a raise, y'all, I asked for a $6,000 raise. $6,000 more than I was getting paid is what I asked for. And I got denied. And it wasn't like, not today, but we think we can put this in effect in two months. It was just like, no, we can't do it right now no other information for you. So that was kind of like the moment I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. Just too much stuff has gone down. I'm tired. I'm tired. I need to be at a place that has better work-life balance that of course pays me well so I can do the things I need to do. For instance, y'all, I made so little money that I could not afford a car payment in my 30s. Okay. Okay. That that tells you all you need to know. Did not have a car, was walking everywhere because I made that little amount of money, um, which is really embarrassing to say when you're looking at your friends, your peers, people you went to school with who have been making six figures um, and have the same sorts of education that you do. So it was really hard. <laughs> and I was like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get a job where... People really trust me and believe in me and there's opportunity for growth and I can step it up and I can have a higher position and make money. Like, okay. So I looked for a job and found essentially the perfect job that had a mission I really believed in and the position sounded great. And I got into the job and it was just like, like, I can finally take a breath. I can pay my bills without thinking and budgeting around what is going to be paid first. I can get a car. I can live a balanced life and I can still do work that I really care about. And so the first few months, I felt really good about the decision. I all of a sudden 
went from having an all white, older, 50 kind of plus staff um, to young staff that skewed more younger, fairly diverse and different experiences. And I was really excited about the environment that I was thrown into and felt supported and felt like people really wanted me there. So I remember this. It's marked by a holiday. I went out of town. I went to like Atlanta for Thanksgiving. And the day that we all were going back to work, I had to fly home. And my flight um, was a little bit delayed. And so getting my bags and getting home for a meeting uh, wasn't possible. So I missed a meeting. I attempted to delegate my, you know, part in the meeting to someone else. And of course, miscommunication, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I remember the reaction from my manager was so severe. Like I had, I was in trouble. I missed the meeting. And what were we going to do? And I didn't like, I thought it was weird, but I don't think I thought too deeply into it. And then later that week, we started talking about um, my 90 day review right? Okay. You know where I'm headed here. And it was the same time for the year for everybody to have their yearly reviews. So it was a lot of time for critique, (laughs) feedback, shall we say. And within a week, we started going into those conversations and I got horrible feedback. And it's one thing to get bad feedback. It's another thing to not have been able to predict that you were going to be told these things, that this conversation was going to go this way. I thought we might talk about, you know, strategy, organization, using the tools, the software systems, maybe things like that. Things you would talk about in the first 90 days when you're kind of getting a hold on something and learning a completely new environment. Uh, No, it didn't go that way. I got such harsh critiques that I had they took multiple meetings, first of all. It wasn't just one meeting. That's what my colleagues were having in their reviews. I had to have multiple meetings, of course, with not only my boss, but like an HR representative as well, and then eventually involved somebody else. Uh, And I was just shocked by it. I was being called lazy, um, unprofessional in the way that I was writing my messages on the instant messaging platform we were using. And Um, my email format wasn't right. And just, I felt like I was being nitpicked all of a sudden. And I hadn't associated the different vibe with my 90 day approaching. I should have though. I should have. I was naive. I can admit this, (laughs) but I just never had an experience like this where 90 days and review and all that was taken so seriously. It was very structured. Um, in the jobs that I had before, I mean, you're lucky if you get any feedback in a formal way, right? You don't even talk to HR, like, you know, people are so in the flow of work. Nobody actually stopped and gave me formal critiques. We kind of just went, we kind of did that as we went along, right? Like (laughs) if something happened and there was some mistakes, we would all talk about as a little mini team, like, okay, we need to start this earlier. We need to set better deadlines, blah, blah, blah. And then we'd all move on. Um, I had never been in a position like this to really be picked apart. And y'all, I was picked apart. And I had to be on Zoom, on camera. That was the hardest part. And I know if we had been in the office, I guess I would have had to be face-to-face too, but I had been working remotely for years at this point and hadn't had to be in an office (laughs) face-to-face ever (laughs) when I didn't want to be. So 
the fact that I had to have such a vulnerable moment and then my colleagues could see the look on my face as I was getting this feedback was embarrassing and I'm very expressive. Uh, (laughs) You can tell exactly how I feel from my eyes and eyebrows and, and what I do with my face. So that was really hard to have to worry about controlling that while people were picking you apart. So if you're already saying I'm not professional and then I'm giving you the side eye on Zoom, I don't, I'm not trying to help you make your point, right? I'm just trying to stay as stoic as possible, receive the information until I can get off this call and lose my mind. And that's exactly what happened. Like after every call, crying, like pacing, calling my mom or my sister or like a friend and trying to dissect what was happening. I could not believe it. I had never been told that I was lazy in any form of the word, like ever. That's just not a critique that I got in life. Um, Unprofessional, like I'm a very relaxed person. So I don't think that part hit me as hard in terms of like, this is the proper way to send a message. This is the proper way to send an email. It was annoying and like an eye roll moment, but it's something about being told you don't have, we don't think you have the enthusiasm to do the work. So we don't think you're actually working hard enough was one of the biggest insults. I knew myself and I don't half-ass things um, or I don't do them. I don't believe in lazy work. Like if I think I'm going to be lazy about something, I won't do it. And that's even in my personal life, little projects and efforts and working out or whatever. Like I'm either going to go all in or I'm not going to do it at all. That's like my general philosophy. Uh, So getting that critique was, of course, embarrassing, but also hurtful because I knew it just wasn't true. So I having those conversations, I was trying to stick up for myself and I started to see what was going on, especially after consulting my mom who has 40 plus career and year career in HR and my sister who had had tons of experiences like this and tons of other people. I was like, okay, so this is an issue. This I'm being profiled. This is like I'm being targeted. And then I got some feedback at work that maybe I wasn't the first pick for everyone on staff to be hired. And I was like hearing little, you know, rumblings of this and that that were helping me put the pieces of the puzzle together and realized I was being pushed out and a 90 day limit was a good time for people who didn't want you there to get you out. And that's exactly what was happening. Um, I tried to stand up for myself. I even called out that I felt like I was being treated with like racial bias. (laughs) That didn't go over well, because as soon as I said that to my manager, I remember I said that on a Thursday. By Friday morning, I had an email in my inbox that said I was being put on a performance improvement plan, or as y'all know, affectionately called a PIP. Oh my God, I hate that name. Um, Yeah. So I was on an improvement plan for mm, 60 days, I think. And it was hell. I had to have a weekly meeting where I was continued to be picked apart by my boss, his boss, and the HR person. Um. And every time walked away feeling humiliated, like, these people don't want me here. Why am I fighting for a job for people who <laughs> who don't even want me around, who clearly don't even believe in me and think that I can contribute anything? Um, the funny part is I was already contributing great stuff when they were critiquing me. I was actually doing really good work. 
especially for 90 days, when you don't really have time to learn the company you're in, learn the full kind of spectrum of your job. I mean, I think studies show it takes almost a year to really learn how to do your job. So it was kind of laughable to be broken apart like that so early on in my career there. Um, Yeah, I had to have meetings every week and I was so stressed out and stressed out isn't even the word. Like I stopped sleeping because all I could do was dream about this and lay in bed awake. And y'all don't know me, but I don't miss sleep. Like I've never had a problem sleeping. I'm an eight hour sleeper still like I'm in high school or something. Like I get tons of sleep. I nap like sleep is not a problem for me. I've never had to take sleep aids or anything like that. So missing sleep and then just obsessing about work while I was laying awake in bed was crazy and definitely a first time thing. Um, I was gaining weight. My eating habits were off. I just cried all the time. I mean, I would cry to coworkers. I remember one time I was so scared of what was about to happen that I gathered a bunch of coworkers who were on my level or like junior level. And we all kind of got together and they knew what was going on because they had had similar experiences themselves. Um, not so formal as in like a performance improvement plan, but they had been there long enough to have some really crappy situations happen to them. And I believe everybody on this call was a person of color. So we had that in common. Maybe one person actually wasn't. One person was white. But everybody else was a person of color. And I just like cried on a Zoom call to them. Like <laughs> thinking back on it, it's it's actually pathetic. Like I I must have been so, so desperate. I don't know if that's the word or just so confused, so tired. Probably I'm not getting any sleep, right? Stressed out. All I do is think about this job. Don't have a personal life anymore. Remember, we're in the middle of a pandemic um, and there's a lot of stress happening in the world. People are being shot every day. <laughs> People are dying of um, this virus. Uh you know, politically, it is a hot mess out there. And then we're all trapped inside, not able to even, you know, get out those negative feelings like you normally would. You might like go dance at a club or like go on a vacation. None of that was happening. This is all in the midst of the pandemic. And yeah, to get on a Zoom and cry. Oh my God. Now that I think about it, it just feels so dramatic. But I know it is an indication of how desperate and sad I felt and how I needed help. I was asking for help in that call. And I definitely felt like my coworkers understood what was going on, had their own experiences, and definitely rallied around me, um, which was nice. And eventually, that's what got me through my performance review period. I finished it. And I don't know. And then it was like, I don't really know why they didn't extend it because they could have extended it. And it was like all of a sudden towards the end, all my comments started to be um, positive all of a sudden. And I was doing such a great job and you've really turned things around. And I'm sitting there thinking like, there was never a big problem to start with. But okay, sure. Yes, I've turned things around. Thank you so much. I know I'm so much better. Um, So it all just felt like BS to me. And it was like, it all magically went away. I don't know what conversations they had I'll never know what conversations really happened between the different people who were involved. But I almost feel like they started to think, if we fire her, 
she's not going to let this go. Like, this is going to be an illegal issue. I think enough of my personality was showed and I was bold enough in those conversations for them to be like, oh, we don't want none of this. Yeah, we don't. And they knew I had access to the person who had had my job before me, who was also a Black woman. And I knew what her experience was. And she had shared like lots of detail with me. And I knew that Black women had been in the organization before and were forced out for different reasons and have strong feelings about that. So I kind of like could have built a case very easily. And I think they might have figured that out and said, let's just leave her alone. Like, she's actually not doing a bad job. I guess we were just bored and we wanted to pick on somebody. Let's just like, let it go. And so magically, all of my feedback started to change and things started to look up. After something so traumatic like that, and I didn't even mention the part that really showed me that I was not taking it well, to say the least. The part that really told me like, oh girl, you are you're sick, is that I had to take antidepressants for the first time in my life. I have, y'all, I have been through plenty of other things that should have triggered a use of a 10 milligram situation, you know, just to cope. And I never did it. I'm not one who's really like into Western medicine. I like to try to like, you know, be as natural as possible, number one. But two, I don't know, it just never crossed my mind. I'm more like, let's get counseling or let's talk it out. But this was a situation that I was so not myself. I felt like my who I really was was being sucked out of my body every day and there was so little of me left. I feel like I needed medication to sleep at night, to wake up in the morning and perform, to try to smile, right? Because a lot of this is acting, right? So you don't feel great at your job. You don't feel like being in the meeting. You just were insulted in a meeting an hour before and now you have to turn around and be like, hey, everyone, okay, let's get to the agenda. (laughs) It's like, what? I I needed something to help me with that. Like, I could not do it alone. And that's just not my personality to to just ask for medication. And I went to the doctor. I was like, you have to help me. (laughs) And luckily, I had a doctor, a Black woman, who was like, I got you. And I was on antidepressants for six months from that point on. Um, I only stopped because I felt like my work situation had changed enough for me to be able to cope myself, therapy, other outlets. I felt like I had kind of gotten it under control. But during the time when I was like having those reviews and on the performance improvement plan, I had to actually be medicated to work. And (laughs) y'all, that's a big red flag. If you have to be medicated to do your job, we want to rethink the job. Um, yeah, so it was, it, it gradually got better. Um, and I just think it's about people just being tired of fighting with me about it, knowing that I was going to take it further, knowing that I was never going to let it go, even if they actually fired me, or even if I got a new job, like I wouldn't have let it go. I would have like pushed, um, pushed it because I knew that other people in the organization were being mistreated and had had many different things happen to them as well. So sometimes speaking up isn't just about you and what's going to happen for you and the changes you can make for you. It's about speaking up for the person who's coming behind you and the person who's already been in your shoes, right? So um, yeah, things slowly started to get better and I don't know. I, it's hard to let go of what happened. Every day I think about, have I moved on from it? it? It was so significant to me. 
it was significant enough for me that I created work stories on Instagram and now have a podcast on it. So I just don't, I don't even know if getting over it is the right term. I don't know if I'll ever be over it. I don't know who ever gets over trauma. You learn to cope with trauma. You learn how, where to store your trauma. You learn what to do when that trauma gets re-stimulated. But I don't know if it ever really goes away once you've been mistreated in a workplace, because remember, work is your bread and butter. You, everyone has to work. This economy, this country particularly, requires us all to work for our basic needs. Um, so feeling like somebody would be willing to threaten that because they were threatened by me and my power and my intelligence and what I brought to the table, um, I don't know if you really get over that. You just kind of cope and and move on. And that is what happened. And that is my inspiration. And I am still in that job. So (laughs) y'all just pray for me. Um, But also resilience. That's one thing all women of color have in common. We are resilient. We are so used to going through being mistreated. We are so used to having to fight for every single thing. I didn't even realize I was as resilient as I was until I was able to not only get through that situation, but then be able to still do my job and kill it and get promoted and like have these crazy results that no one would even believe if they heard me screaming, crying the months before. Right. Um, So there's fear in telling the story. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to hear it. Like, (laughs) but this is my truth. It's my perception and it happened to me. So actually I've decided that my perception of the situation is more important than anyone else's, right? It's my story. So I just hope that this podcast and work stories in general can be a space that y'all think about taking some chances. It's really scary. And I know everyone's situations are different. If I had had kids, a spouse, a mortgage, other elements, speaking up and being a little defiant (laughs) and how I was answering questions and all of that might've been harder. Um, I realized that we're all in different situations and at the end of the day, you have to do what is right for you. But if you have an opportunity, if you can take a chance to be brave, you can help so many people. I cannot wait to get into some more of these topics with our guests. So thank you so much for joining me today and I'll see you next week. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 